23-year-old, uh, right out of college, uh, was invited to come and join you for six months, by the way. Uh, to come and spend six months, the congregation had raised uh, some funds to be able to support a missionary uh, for five years, and we were interested in, in joining a missionary team to go somewhere in Latin America. We didn't know where then, but we just knew we wanted to go somewhere. And one of the elders at the time knew me from my days back at the College Church of Christ, Jim Stanley. He heard that I had just graduated, that Jeanette and I had just graduated from college, and said, would you come and talk with us? We're looking to, to find a family that we can support, but we really want to get to know them. We want our family here at Modesto to know them. We want them to feel loved by us. And so would you come and please spend six months with us? During that time, you can figure out where you're going to go. And so we did, and those six months turned into six years. God knew, though, God knew that there were skills, there were experiences, uh, there were some insights into my own brokenness and, and humanity uh, that I needed, that there was, there was no way I was going to get them anyplace else but in this very warm and loving congregation. This is what our family looked like back in the day. This is our family the summer that we were packing up to move to Puebla, Mexico, which is southeast of Mexico City, uh, about two hours southeast of Mexico City. Uh, we had never been there. Uh, we met two, family, two other families in Texas, uh, one who had just come back from 11 years in Costa Rica and was forming a new team to go to the fourth largest city in Mexico. And uh, they recruited us, and we got excited, and we joined that team. And we, just before we left, the congregation was taking photos for one of those, you know, remember we used to make those uh, albums that everybody would have a chance to see, oh, who everybody was. And this is one of our favorite photos. This is a picture of us uh, when we were young. And yes, it did not last. But this is us, uh, our family, including our daughter, Lori, who lived right next to us on Rumble Road when we moved here in, in the summer of 79. She lived in the duplex next to us and just became part of our family and has never left. She's been part of our family ever since. But when I think about our time here, oh my goodness, the lessons, the things that I had learned that I, I needed to know before I went to Mexico, I learned here. And I'm so grateful because I, I love to come back. I feel honored to be able to come back and say thank you. I know that many of those I want to thank are already with the Lord. Some of them have relatives who are still here today. And I want to be able to express my sincere gratitude to this congregation for its patience and love, especially patience uh, with this young man who came here in, in, when he was just 23 years old right out of Pepperdine University. I was blessed to have some really supportive and patient elders who were friends and mentors who protected me. In fact, sometimes from myself, sometimes from area churches. I'm particularly grateful to uh, Carl Mitchell, excuse me, Carl Smith, who's with the Lord. Carl taught me the way of God more perfectly in many ways. Uh, Brother Cletus Lewis, Brother Ray Schaefer, those three men loved me, cared for me, were patient with me, taught me how to serve this congregation, how to think multi-generationally. And certainly I'm grateful to my best mentor I ever had in ministry, we shared five of those six years together here, Robert Peak. Robert Peak, anywhere I go, people have heard of Robert Peak. Robert Peak was my mentor here. 
who took time teaching me the skills that it took to be a minister. And I'm always grateful for that time that we shared here at this place. I'm also grateful for the young people um, that didn't know any better. They just followed me around and we did a lot of craziness. To their parents who didn't know what we were doing and still supported us and encouraged us. To young adult couples, some of them were in the room and no longer are young, and they were probably scratching their head like, really, can we do this? Did you ask the elders? And then, of course, just to a number of, of older, what I would now call, you know, the middle-aged couples, they were in their late 30s, 40s, who just said, what do you need? We'll be there. We'll cook for you. We'll drive for you. We'll do this and the other so that you all could have a really wonderful, amazing, transformative youth ministry here. And then later help us to get started with some new um, small group ministries here. But I learned so, so much, and I'm very, very grateful for all the things that I learned here. And then when we left this congregation in the summer of 1985 to move to southern Mexico, it was uh, many years later, almost 20 years later, about 2004, I believe, was the last time that my wife and, actually, and I were actually in this building because our sons, who were missionaries in China, uh, were invited to come and, and make a presentation, and the congregation supported them for a little while in their amazing work in China. Once again, demonstrating that this congregation wants to bless its own. All four of my children, these children you see here, were born here in Modesto. They're proud to say that they were born and part of the Davis Park Church of Christ. And so it's wonderful to be back and to be able to thank you in person, to say thank you for the patience you had with me way back then, for the love you had for me and for my wife and our family over all of these years. And on behalf of all the Rodriguez's, I just want to say how grateful I am. Well, we've changed a little, as you can see. Uh, we're a little older now, and our family uh, has also become much more multi-ethnic than it was when you first met us back in 1979 when we came here and my wife was round with child with our first child. Uh, we have a very multi-ethnic family, Marcus and Martin, they spent nine years in China, and Marcus, who spent nine years there, married Xiao Zheng, and they have two children, uh, Journey and their son Caleb that many of you have been praying for. He's our special needs grandson. Martin over here and his wife Erin, he met her on eHarmony while he was a missionary in China. She was from a small town in Montana, and their two children, uh, Lucy and Micah. And then our, our youngest daughter, Monica, over here, uh, married Warren. Uh, who's from Southern California. They had two children during COVID. These are our COVID babies. Uh, we're so thankful for each of them. We'll be celebrating a birthday for the youngest one next Saturday, next Sunday. And then, of course, you see Lori and Stephen Lewis. Uh, I didn't have a picture of all of their four children. They're, they're two of their children are getting married this summer. Uh, it's just amazing. But, but so many of our stories end up right back here on Rumble Road at the Davis Park Church of Christ. And I'm just so grateful for that. Listening to uh, Mike talk about the prayer request this morning uh, and going down that list, I was thinking about all the people, names of people on that list that I remember. People, uh, I was thinking of Ben and Lynn Brocko. Lynn's name was on there, and they were among those young people that would go with us and travel around and help us do all those wonderful things that we were able to do. Uh, mentioned Ron Collins, who just had a stroke, and, and May and Ron and many others their age. Um, Larry and Twyla, Jim and Roselle would come and, and help us on these wonderful events. And I'm just grateful to know that we can still continue to show our gratitude by serving them and praying to God. But it was also interesting, Mike, you paused and said, we've still got people getting COVID. And we do. Not as many, thank God. But we do have some people getting COVID. 
And I'm guessing the other day there was a young woman in our, in our congregation. We love her to death. And by the way, some of our Hollywood people are going to be watching online. So I told them I'd call them out. Hey, Wednesday night small group, thank you for your prayers. Uh, but we, uh, we, one of our young uh, sisters in our group uh, will just say what's on her heart. And the other day she was sick and she said, I hope it's COVID. I hope it's COVID. And I'm like, what? Because she said, oh, there's so many things I could do if I have COVID. Besides rest and get ready to go on this vacation, I just hope it's COVID. I hope it's COVID. And maybe you've had a few days in the last few months or even the last year where you've almost been a little nostalgic. Oh, remember the days of COVID. Remember when we had to meet all the time online at the Hollywood Church of Christ, sometimes known as the Holly Weird Church of Christ. We, we still have people joining us on Zoom. Probably a third of our congregation is still watching us in their pajamas in their living room. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're having people come back. But there are times I know that we miss the pandemic, the opportunity to rest, to stay home, work remotely, maybe to binge watch Netflix. How many of you binge watch something on Hulu, Netflix, or, uh, or Amazon Prime during the, during the pandemic? You, 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 net, you binge watch something. Maybe an old show, Bonanza, Gilligan's Island, or maybe some of the newer shows. Yeah, I mean, we started binge watching shows, you know. And for us, if there, if there wasn't seven or nine seasons, we didn't even want to start. We didn't want to fall in love with the show and then have it end right away. But when Jeanette was gone or I was by myself, I liked to binge watch survival movies. So anybody like survival movies besides me? I really like survival movies. Some of my favorites, Alien with Sigourney Weaver, The Edge with Anthony Hopkins where he's hiding from that huge bear, Castaway with Tom Hanks, Gravity with Sandra Bullock. These are some of my favorites. Uh, Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio, Lone Survivor 2013 with Mark Wahlberg. Any Lone Survivor fans? Unbroken. Um, these are some of my favorite movies. And more recently, TV shows, Jeanette and I had got into SEAL Team. It's season six, and we're just really loving SEAL Team. And maybe we're the only ones here. But one of the things that's interesting about survival shows, you know, you, you can't help but wonder, would I be like that? Would I have the, the character, the stamina, the ability, uh, the, just the mental toughness if something happened to me? You know, for instance, this, this movie that some of you remember seeing uh, that came out uh, just a few years ago based on a true story um, of an amazing uh, young man uh, uh, during World War II. Just powerful story about a man whose faith in God required him to be, uh, uh, you know, to say, I'll, I'll be a medic, but I can't, I can't carry a gun. And just, you know, the story's inspiring. I love those stories. They inspire me. And I learned things about code of conduct. We were watching SEAL Team, and there's a, there's a code of conduct, uh, if you are a Navy SEAL, that I found out is, is a code of conduct for all the military, especially those who might find themselves in a combat situation. There's what is known as Siri, S-E-R-E, not the town series next, next over here, but Siri, which stands for survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. If you get captured, then it's your obligation to survive. That is your, your boss says, or your, your commanding officer, make sure you survive and try to evade being captured if you can. And if you're captured, resist and do everything you can to escape. And if you watch, if you watch like us, SEAL Team, you know that people are doing this when they get captured. Did you know there is a Christian code of conduct? There is a Christian code of conduct 
for Christians who are living as a colony of resident aliens in this world. We call that document 1 Peter. If you'll open your Bibles for the next few moments, I'd like us to be in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is, was written <coughs> purportedly by the Apostle Peter. It's one of the last things he writes. Now he's a mature a servant of God. He has become this fisherman, fisher of men that Jesus calls him to. He overcame his weaknesses, used those weaknesses uh, in, as a strength to humbly guide and serve others, especially form, uh, fellow elders throughout the, the Greco-Roman world. But he writes a letter that we call 1 Peter, and he's writing it to a group of Christians Brand new Christians, probably just days or weeks after they've been baptized into the Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mostly Gentiles, but also some Jews living in what we would now call Turkey. Then it would have been Asia Minor. And because of their relationship to God now, they are in a, they're feeling like they're living in, in occupied territory. They feel like paratroopers who've just been dropped behind enemy lines, but these enemy lines are their own neighborhoods, their own families, their own communities where they were born and raised. But because they call Jesus Christ Lord, they are no longer being treated like homies. They're being treated like foreigners and aliens. And so Peter writes a letter to them, and in his letter, his concern isn't so much with survival and evasion, resistance and escape. No, Peter's would be described as fizzle. E-S-L-R. I don't know how you would say it. Some acronyms were never meant to be said. So as Christians, we're supposed to embrace what Peter would say is embrace, suffer, Embrace and suffer and love and rejoice. And I'd like us to look at that just for a few moments this morning. We're going to look at how we as Christians, what is our survival code? What is our code for conducting our lives in the midst of a dangerous and, ho and growing hostile community? One of the things that Peter wants us to understand, first of all, is that we need to embrace our true identity. We need to embrace our true identity. One of the biggest problems I seem to discover as I'm blessed by God to travel around the world, around our country in particular, I get invited now in my role at Pepperdine and because of the research I do, I get, inv I get invited to lots of churches of Christ that are trying to reach Hispanic communities. I also get invited by a lot of other denominations to come and help them as they need uh, just some guidance on how to reach communities that are now very different than the ones that used to surround their communities, especially if they're Hispanic communities. I get invited to, to help them kind of think through, through what that would look like. And so one of the things that I, I notice in my travels is that there's two questions that many churches and many members do not know how to answer correctly. Simple questions. But they're questions that are very important to Peter as he's writing this letter. And the first is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And second, do you know where you are? 901 West Wormble Road. No, 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 no. Modesto, California, wrong. California, wrong. The United States of America, wrong. 
Well, who are you? I am a Californian. No. United States American. No. Member of the hum human race. No. And so Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter wants us to understand that the answer to those two questions are critical to understanding how to survive in this world. And what he wants us to understand is that we, brothers and sisters, are resident aliens. Because of our loyalty to Christ now, we have suddenly become foreigners among our own people, foreigners in our native land. I, I know what that feels like just on, uh, as a human being, because most of my adult life, where I've lived primarily around the dominant group, I've been asked questions like, what part of Mexico are you from? And it's like, I was born and raised here. My mom and dad were born, raised here. It used to insult me. Now I just tell them, I'm from the northern capital of Mexico. And they want to know, where's that? I say, Los Angeles. Okay, but, or, they, or they, compliment my, they compliment my English. For a Mexican, you should speak English good. Uh, and you know that's wrong. Well, um, but, but my mom taught me to be very respectful. But that used to bother me. But, it, but it, what it constantly did as a young man growing up, surrounded by the dominant group, especially once we moved to Fresno, California, it reminded me that no matter how American I try to act, I am still perceived as a foreigner in my native land, like someone who just got here. People say, where are you from? I'm said, I'm from Los Angeles. No, where are you really from? From Los Angeles. No, where are you really from? I was born in Hollywood. No, no, even when I say that, where are you really from? Oh, you mean where did my ancestors come from? Yeah, 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 that's what we want to know. Because they know I'm not a real American. Well, you know what? Peter wants us all to understand that we are foreigners in our native land. He writes to them in the very first verse, to the exiles scattered around the, around the world. In chapter 1, verse 17, he says, you want to live such wonderful lives because of the sacrifice that God in his precious son, offering his blood more precious than gold and silver, has provided for your freedom. How do you respond? By living as foreigners and aliens in this land. And when he writes to them in chapter 2, he says, people are watching you. Because they're watching you, make sure that you live good and holy lives as foreigners and aliens. Now, they really were not foreigners and aliens. Again, it was because of their new allegiance. There were people who would say, suddenly, you aren't as patriotic as you used to be. You're not as nationalistic as you used to be. You're not as so anti-immigrant as you used to be. Why? Because I am an immigrant. What do you mean you're not an immigrant? I know where you were born. I know your parents have been here since they came from Oklahoma. But I'm an immigrant. In what sense? In that now I belong to Christ. I am a, I am a member of a colony. Of a, of a, I have a citizenship in another world. And it's not this world. And so Peter wants them to understand this. Do you know where you are? And do you know who you are? You are a resident alien living as a colony of resident aliens in occupied territory. This land belongs to God, the psalmist says. Psalm 1 says, 24, 1 says, everything belongs to God. But right now it's under the control of our enemy. They're not the Democrats. They're not the Republicans. Our enemy is the evil one who wants us to believe it's the Republicans or Democrats. No, he is the enemy. That is what we have to understand. We are living in occupied territory. But, but we're special nonetheless. We really are special. And so he wants us to embrace our, our new identity. And one of the things that he says is, understand, you are dear friends. You are dear friends of 
none other than me, but also of God. You are dear friends, and you need to embrace that. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fire ordeal that has come upon you, he says, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as, a, or as any kind of other criminal or even of a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will, uh, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he says, it is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinners? And then he says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This in brief is the code of conduct. How should we live as foreigners and aliens in Rome, in Babylon, in Egypt? That's where we live. I think it's the most beautiful Egypt ever in the world, the most beautiful Babylon ever in the world, the most beautiful Rome ever in the world is the United States of America. But brothers and sisters, it's occupied territory. And so Paul wants us like Peter, to understand that our true identity and understanding exactly where we are is important. Because if we mistakenly think we're in the promised land, we're going to lower our defenses. And then we're going to discover we're actually surrounded by Egyptians. Wondering then, why are the Egyptians treating us this way? Because it's Egypt. By the way, that's why so many people are coming to our country. Why do they keep coming? If it's not the promised land, why are all those people coming legally and illegally to our country? Because it's Egypt. Their country, in their mind, is the promised land. But there's no food, there's no work, there's no infrastructure, there's no education, there's no health care, there's no safety. So just like Jacob and his children went to Egypt because there they could survive, they come here. But trust me, make no, no doubt about it. Don't be confused, because Jeanette and I spend a lot of time with immigrant communities in this country. And we hear regularly, be careful. El diablo habla inglés. The devil speaks English. You know, and they run into people who call themselves followers of Jesus who often treat them like Egyptians treated the Jews. But we have to understand, we cannot, we cannot fall asleep on the job and believe that we live in the promised land. We live in the United States of America. And I'm thankful for that. My, 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 my U.S. passport has blessed me. My identity as a United States American uh, is really one of the most precious things I, that I own and that I, 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 I hold dear to me. But a thousand years from now, it's not going to matter at all. I, I don't know what the shelf life is for this country, but I don't think it's a thousand years. But these songs that we were singing today, they're still going to be sung. The Song of the Lamb Salvation belongs to our God that John heard them singing in Revelation 7. All those distinct people with different cultures and languages and, 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 and uh, idiosyncrasies, they were all united by the, by the Lamb of God and they were singing those songs. That's where we're going to be. 
And so one of the things he says is you need to, if you want to survive in this world, this hostile place, you need to, number one, know who you are and where you are so that you're not surprised. I just can't believe our country did that. I've heard lots of people say that over the last 8 to 12 years. I can't believe our country overturned Roe v. Wade. I can't believe our country did this. Or I can't believe our country did that. I can't believe this. I can't believe the other. And I'm, I'm thinking, why would anything surprise you? Why would anything surprise you? Uh, there was a reason the devil was not lying when he tempted our Savior in the desert and says, if you bow and worship me, I will give you all of this. And then he says in Luke chapter 4, because all of this has been given to me. It's under my power. Just read Ephesians and Paul will tell you it's true. Temporarily, all of this is under his power. The Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the, the House, the Congress, the Senate, everywhere. It's all under God's, it's all under the, under the devil's power. We just shouldn't be surprised when it looks that way. Because we know who we are. We are God's chosen people. We are foreigners and aliens only because of Christ living in a, as a colony of resident aliens. Living together in this colony is one of the biggest blessings of all because we come together maybe multiple times every week to remind ourselves we're going home. We're going home. Somebody passes away, he went home. He went home. Jesus said, I'm going home to prepare a place for you. The Hebrew writer says, those who God blesses, those who he says, these are my people, are those who are looking for their own city, a better homeland that's not in this world. And that's us. But when you live that way, you talk that way, you, people are not going to like it. And so some are going to suffer. We're going to suffer. And that's one of the themes in this passage that we just read from chapter 4. We are going to suffer. And suffering is something that we must embrace as well. We are going to suffer, but when we suffer, we want to suffer like Jesus. He says, don't be surprised at the fire or deal that comes upon you to test your faith, as though something strange were happening. Why are bad things happening to us? Duh, we live in Egypt. Our faith must be tested. It must be purified in these momentary trials. And some of the worst are when we are mistreated by our own people, our own children, our own parents. However, he tells us in chapter 4, verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Praise God that you bear that name. You see Peter doing that in chapter 4 when him and John are taken before the Sanhedrin and they're threatened and then sent out after they healed the man in chapter 3. They're praising God that they have been threatened with death because of the name of Christ. Then in chapter 5 when they're arrested again and beaten and sent out free, they are thanking God and praising God that they are dig that they are that they are worthy of suffering because of the name of Christ. That just sounds strange to many of us who live in a society where one of the most important things in the world, one of the highest values in our society is avoid pain at every cost. I think I might start getting a headache. Give me two IBs. I might get one. You know, there might be this problem. I'd start thinking about them. I'd start fretting about them. You know, I, again, the IB thing, I'll do that. I think I need some IDs. Do you really have IBs? Do you really have a headache? No, but I kind of feel one's coming on. You know, we want to avoid pain and suffering at any cost. 
partly because we believe that the goal in life is to be happy. We've, we've been told over the years, Jeanette and I, many years, many marriages we performed, unfortunately, more than we would ever like to see, have been dissolved and divorced. And more than one time, we've talked to people and asking them, what's going on? And they say, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy, so I'm getting out of this marriage. I'm thinking, what? Where did you hear that God wants you to be happy? God wants you to be holy. He wants you to bring glory and honor to him. We need to suffer. And sometimes it's suffering. And that's one of the audiences that he's talking to there in, in 1 Peter. He's talking to wives in chapter 3. He's also talking to, to slaves in chapter 3. He's talking to people who are living under an oppressive political regime in chapter 2. We need to suffer, but we shouldn't be surprised when we do. Don't be ashamed. But that suffering, you know, don't think that people are being crucified yet or, or burned at the stake or eaten by lions. That wasn't happening yet. But the things that they were experiencing were much more like what we're experiencing here in 2023 in our country. More and more, I know many of you, certainly much more than I did when I was 23 years old starting here at, at Davis Park, it still seemed to be cool to be a Christian. Being a Christian, being a Christian who takes seriously the invitation to not only be a member, to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, that puts you in a small camp in a very unpopular group. These people were being insulted publicly, and they were being shamed. In chapter 2, we told that they were being maligned as evildoers, even though they weren't doing anything wrong. Well, you're not worshiping the emperor. You must be a pagan. They were even being criticized for being atheists. They were anything but atheists. They were worshiping the one true God. But you cannot put that God into a human form or any other form. And so they wouldn't worship the gods of the people, and so they were considered evildoers, atheists. In chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 15, they were being maligned by the ignorant talk of foolish people. Has that ever happened to you? Has any ignorant, foolish person said something bad about you to other people? And that just took life, especially like it does on, on Facebook and social media. It just takes life of, it own, of its own. This is, this is some of the ways they were suffering. They were suffering also, and this is powerful. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he tells us they were suffering for doing good. They were suffering for doing good. In verse, in verse 15 up here, it says, If you suffer, it should not be as a, a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, not even as a meddler, not even as a busybody or a gossip, but they were suffering for what was good. And he tells us throughout this letter that one of the most important things they did was say no. No. We refuse to join the bullies at work and school. No. We refuse to, refuse to lie. We refuse to exaggerate. We refuse to withhold information at work to my advantage or somebody else's advantage. We refuse to be entertained like non-believers. No, we're not going to do that. If you want to do that, that is fine. We'll leave the party before that starts. Why? Because we're foreigners and aliens. You wouldn't actually say it that way. You would say, well, our people just don't do that. What people are you talking about? The people of God. They're also being maligned for telling the truth. They told the truth even when it hurt. And when they were maligned, when they were mistreated, their response was to say it's God's will and to commit themselves to their faithful creator. What a powerful thing. 
And so they, they had to understand, number one, embrace their identity. Number two, suffer like Christ. But number three, they needed to love in the midst of suffering those who were bringing on the suffering and other resident aliens in their community. Love is an important topic in 1 Peter. Love one another. Love one another with a holy and precious love since you've been loved by God with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Love one another, he says in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, because this is what distinguishes us from the other around us. And then he says, rejoice. When this suffering takes place, rejoice when you suffer as a Christian. As a Christian. Not just because you're lazy at work or because you voted for the wrong party or what. No, suffer, rejoice when you suffer as a Christian because you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. And then you can be overjoyed because his glory is being revealed once again through your life and my life. Rejoice, he says, because one day we will be vindicated when Christ returns. When Christ returns, the world is going to realize that we were more than just a colony of resident aliens. The day that Moses took the people out of Egypt and headed for the Red Sea, the Egyptians knew something had happened. These beaten down, useless slaves were suddenly the most important people in the universe because their God was the most powerful God in the universe. He had destroyed the gods of the Egyptians. And he said, Moses is my, my servant, and these people are my people, and you didn't let them go, so I'm taking them by force. We will be vindicated someday. Not now. What well, We will be vindicated, and the, that will come when the Lord returns. And that's what Peter wants us to understand. We suffer with hope, and we suffer with purpose. And I think often, living in a society that says, whatever you do, don't suffer. Just give me something for the pain. I don't want to suffer. We live in a world where we're being challenged by Christ through Peter. Suffer with purpose and hope. And this is exemplified certainly everywhere. The, the passage in 1 Peter that, that you see here. Um, let me just mention these. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't put those up there. I thought I had. But these were the four points we talked about. Embrace your true identity. Suffer more like Jesus. Um, rejoice. Love one another. But I want to encourage you to, there's some great movies out there. This was a movie I binge watched. I had no idea what, how it was going to change my life. It, it's about a very un, uh, an unknown German um, Catholic who, because he refused to support his country, its regime during World War II, because he refused to just greet people on the road when they would say, Heil Hitler to him, he would refuse to do so. Um, he suffered greatly. So did his family. It's just a powerful movie, and I think that's the world we live in today. We need to be inspired by people like that. But I'm, I'm inspired like you by the people that are described here in Hebrews chapter 11. These amazing people described in Hebrews chapter 11. And the way they're described here in this passage is just amazing. There were others. He's describing all these great people of faith. There were others, he says, and they refused to be released that they might gain a new and better resurrection. Look at that passage. These people are amazing folk. We don't know their names. Purposely, we don't know their names because we're supposed to try to identify with them. They, were, they understood that it wasn't something strange when they suffered. When they suffered, this wasn't something strange. Listen to what the writer says. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they 
might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by the sword. They were sawed in two. They were killed by, their, by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The wor- I love this verse, this passage. The world was not worthy of them. We think, oh, I'm jealous of those people who live in that gated community. I'm jealous of those people who have those privileges and those privileges and and who people know by facial recognition, who have millions of followers on Facebook. No, 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 no. I want to be a part of this group. It said of them, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were waiting to be vindicated. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. There are some people who are still waiting. The book of John, the book of Revelation tells us that there are martyrs under under a particular altar saying, When, Lord, when, Lord, when are you going to vindicate our blood and our murders? And he says, Not yet. Because the full number of the martyrs has not yet been fulfilled. Some need to still suffer. But they're going to suffer like men and women who belong to God. Why? Because this is the way of the cross. This is what Jesus invited you and I to. He invites us to follow him. Not just to go to church on Sunday morning. Not just to stop doing A, B, and C and start doing A, B, and C. No, he invites us. He invites us to follow him. But following him means that we're going to imitate him. He says to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised again. And we know in another gospel, Peter says, wait, 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 i got to tell you something. That's not going to happen. Not on my watch. And then the Lord has to turn and say, get behind me, Satan. Because this is the way of the Lord. See, there are many Peters in our life that say, no, 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 no. Suffering, no. And Jesus is saying, suffering, yes. Not because we're sadistic or masochistic, but because we are following the way of the Lord. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Notice, first they must deny themselves. They must recognize, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I have to learn how to say no. But then I have to say yes to the cross. That is a voluntary decision to do whatever it is I'm going to do or say because I want to bring glory to God. And then I follow Christ. Three important steps to becoming a disciple. And then he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life for my sake will find it. What good is it if someone gains the whole world, can avoid pain and suffering, and yet lose or forfeit their self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes with his glorious angels and with the glory of the Father. That's going to happen on that day. And we want to hear, we want to hear, we want to experience those words, well done, good, faithful faithful servant. But I I want to just end with this, this, this slide. It's the first martyr, first Christian martyr. So unique, Stephen. You know Stephen. He's introduced to us in chapter 6. And he quickly becomes this powerful man of God in word as well as deed. And he's, he's been brought before the synagogue of other uh, Hellenized Jews. They already know what they want to do with him. 
but they want him to explain himself. They want him to explain the way, this, this, this crooked way that he's now following that he calls the way of the Lord. And so he preaches to them this beautiful sermon in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. And before he gets to the very end of his sermon, people start gathering stones. They've decided this man should not live. He does not deserve to live. And so as the stones begin to fly, I love this verse. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, notice this. Where is Jesus? According to Paul, every time you read Paul describe where Jesus is right now, where is Jesus? He is sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And God the Father and the Son are looking down at Stephen as his life is about to be taken from him. And Stephen looks up because he's giving glory and honor to God. He understands he's a foreigner in his own native land. These are his people who are now treating him like a foreigner. These are Egyptians now treating him like a foreigner. And they're about to take his life away. And he sees heaven opened. The greatest honor. The Son of Man, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, stands up. He stands up because this man is about to lay his life down. The greatest honor, seeing the Lord stand up on Judgment Day, say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, bless your people, not only here today at Davis Park, bless us around the world, Father. We're being lulled, we're being drugged, uh, figuratively and literally, Lord, into thinking that we need to do everything we possibly can to avoid pain. Emotional pain, physical pain, psychological pain, spiritual pain. And yet, on the other hand, we hear your son saying, deny yourself, that's painful. Take up your cross, well, that's certainly painful. And follow me, well, we know where that's going to lead. Help us, Father, as we hear these conflicting descriptions of the good life. Help us to remember where we are and who we are that we are a colony of resident aliens. Our true homeland is in heaven. Our hope is there, Father. Help us so that during every single day of our lives, we'll live wisely. We'll be like Joseph in Egypt. We'll be like Rahab in Israel. We'll be like Daniel and Esther in Babylon and in Persia. We will live like light in darkness, but we will never forget that this world, even at its best and most beautiful, is not our home. Help us, help us, Lord, to be those people who are inviting others to join this remarkable, sometimes broken community of resident aliens, this colony that we call the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, touch anyone today that needs to be touched, and if they need to surrender their lives to your son today, Father, I pray that they will be moved to do so. When we're done with this service, they'll find one of the elders, they'll find one of the leaders and say, I need to know more. I want to become a part of this very unique community of resident aliens who belong to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you.